Welcome back. This is Robert Fleming of the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. And I'm talking with the Curdy of Fleming and Curdy PLC, my longtime partner, Tom Curdy, now retired, happily retired. We talked in another podcast episode about retirement and and what to uh, what to do to prepare for it, what things you might think about, how it has impacted at least one retiree with a little experience in the area, to wit, Tom. But Tom, I wanted to have you back to talk about the practice of law, uh, because you and I have been friends for, good Lord, 40, 47 years is my quick calculation. We met the first day of the first year of law school. You were coming in from Wisconsin. You were an out-of-state student. I was an out-of-state student from Utah. There were only a handful of us out-of-state students. What became of those couple of others? Do we remember? Uh, yes, I remember a few. Um, I think one of them became a judge. I think he was an out-of-state student. Um, but anyway, it, it matters not. Uh, We've spent a long time. We practiced together for several years right out of law school, separated, went our own ways, came back together, practiced as partners for 25 years. Anything interesting happened to you in, in 40 years of practice of law? Uh, many things. And uh, initially, as you recall, we hung out at Shingle. And so we, we were starting from zero. So we would take court appointments and... Uh, you, you get involved in other social organizations to generate business. Um, I got involved in the Eagles, uh, Fraternal Order of Eagles, I recall. And, uh, but when we started out, we were doing criminal appointments for the county and criminal appointments for the city of Tucson and uh, other appointments in the elder law area for in guardianships and conservatorships representing uh, wards. Um, I remember one intersection. One of your city court appointees, when we were partners the first time, died um, and uh, and still had a, what did he have, a DUI or some, some sort of a traffic ticket? I, I represented a person who uh, was obviously had a substance abuse problem and he was accused of entering a fast food or a, a quick mart or a circle k and shoplifting a beer oh, and was okay. arrested and i arranged for him to come in and he uh didn't show up and then i arranged for him to come in again he didn't show up but then i got a phone call threatening me by this the, the defendant who i was appointed to represent and uh, he was obviously intoxicated when those events happened. And so finally, uh, I kept putting the case off, continuing it, saying I needed more time to talk to my client, which was the last thing I really wanted to do. But um, finally, one day, I'm sitting reading the newspaper, and a gentleman was struck and killed in South Tucson by a car. And I look down, and it's the gentleman that I had been calling and threatening me, and I, for, for whom I had been appointed to represent. So you never got to meet the guy? I did not get to meet him, and I was uh, reticent to, to meet him. But in any event, then I uh, proceeded to court and say, here's the newspaper article. My, 
my client has, is dead and you can dismiss this case. And the judge said, no, I <laughs> want to. I, I don't trust what I read in the newspapers. I want to see a death certificate. Well, I had no way of getting a death certificate uh, to get the case dismissed. And so it, it seemed <laughs> like an unnecessary chore. And uh, I, I believe it was you, Robert, suggested, okay, go to trial. That's right. <laughs> let's, let's issue a warrant for him. Because <laughs> what is the worst that could happen to this gentleman that hasn't already <laughs> happened? Uh, eventually, I believe I got a copy of the police report and was able to uh, convince the judge that the person was in fact dead. You know, there's a little bit of, uh, of an elder law teaching moment in there. People often say, oh, just get a death certificate. It's actually hard to get a death certificate unless you have some real reason to, to justifiably get a death certificate. Uh, if, if one of our clients died today, we could not get a death certificate unless we were named as successor trustee or personal representative in their, of their estate or, uh, or they were a relative or something. It's pretty hard to get those death certificates. Yes. Well, you also, I know you did felony work. Uh, I know, uh, I remember one of your, your um, uh, felony defendants had a particularly colorful phrase that, uh, that, that got him before the... Uh... Actually, the, uh, there was a... Uh, let me move to a, a different felony. Okay, right. <laughs> First, I, I was representing a client who was charged with burglary. And uh, his defense was that he was intoxicated. Uh, there's a theme to, to yeah. all these cases. Um, and uh, that he didn't know what he was doing when he walked up to the apartment and tried to get in and the door was locked. But then he proceeded to a hardware store to get a channel lock and bought it and returned and was able to force his way in using a channel lock. Uh, but in any event, it was his first offense, and we weren't certain if he would face jail time or not. But we proceeded to trial, and he was convicted. And as he and the judge said, it's frequently in those situations to give the defendant a chance to go get his affairs in order. But in this case, the judge was had a letter from the person that posted bond that they were worried that he would skip out of town. So they required that uh, he be taken into custody immediately. And so uh, I turned to the defendant, uh, Henry, and, and he said, my car is parked on the street. I need to do something about that. Can you take care of that? And I said, yes, I will. But I had, other, uh, I had some other commitments, so I didn't get to it until after it had a ticket on it, a parking ticket for overtime parking. And when we, when I, I returned the car, but then I had to deal with the ticket. So I wrote in and told the judge that we're pleading not guilty. So then I appear in court. And to, of course, my client is not there. He's in prison and I sit down and I explain why, why Henry couldn't move his car in time and that the ticket ought to be uh, dismissed. And in fact, the judge did dismiss it. Unbeknownst to me, there's a court reporter in the back of the room who's uh, is 
uh, writing a story about a day in the life of the city court. <laughs> and he proceeds to write, there's a good news and bad news for Henry. I, and I boil it down to, I lost your burglary case and you went to prison, but I won your parking ticket. <laughs> and so, and uh, lo and behold, the Associated Press picked up the story. So I had clients right. in Idaho uh, calling and saying, hey, I saw your, your name in the Idaho paper, or I had a client, I had a person in, uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio contact me and said, my name's Thomas A. Curdy. It happens to be exactly your name. And so I just wanted to tell you that I saw your name in the local paper. I don't remember why, <laughs> which is another lesson. Any publicity is good publicity. That's right. <laughs> and uh, he, he said, uh, so I, I know there is another Thomas A. Curdy. It's a pretty rare name out there. So, uh, so it, was, uh, it was one of my more interesting cases. The other case that you referred to was I was befriended a couple of gentlemen who who liked to drink and they were at a, a bar and they uh, middle age at that time and um, they got into a uh, the pol a policeman showed up and my uh, client's story, side of the story was he told the policeman that I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt <laughs> and the policeman proceeded to immediately knock him to the ground and arrest him and uh, not, not an advisable thing to yell at a policeman right I would I would frown on that and and really the only uh, dispute was the policeman said I'm going to knock uh, deleted word your dick in the dirt <laughs> and um, so uh, <laughs> and so he was, my client was charged with disorderly conduct, which was a misdemeanor. And uh, back then, Arizona had a very poorly drafted disorderly conduct uh, statute. And uh, it, it, it didn't really define what disorderly conduct was in, very, uh, in a very good manner. So I managed to get that case dismissed because of a, it was an imprecise or not a well-written statute. <laughs> Well, for the last quarter century, you've mostly practiced elder law, done estate planning and, and guardianship and conservatorship. What, what from that era do you look back on and think, oh, God, those were the good old days. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what is the most unusual request you remember, for instance, for somebody in their will? Did you create a lot of pet trusts or gun trusts or... Um, uh, uh, have somebody buried in their Cadillac, or uh, we? One of the most difficult cases was when the person requested that their pet be euthanized when they died. That was uh, that's always a difficult case, uh, and we've been involved in the firm has been involved in that, and so, you know that that's something that people. Uh, we do get that request occasionally, and we will occasionally even write it in, though we tell people that that's not, not something that you ought to do, and it's probably not going to be enforced. But the reality is, and people should understand that, if you say, I want my dogs euthanized and buried with me, or their ashes mixed with mine, it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to euthanize a healthy dog just because the owner died. Um, so we have had to address that from time to time. And uh, as I recall, the case I was involved in, the, the person 
the, the, the pet died of natural causes shortly after the owner's death, so it was became a moot question. Um, I've had another estate planning consultation where we're sitting there, I'm asking uh, the husband and wife, how do you want to leave your property? And one spouse turned to the other and said, I don't want to be married to you. <laughs> so we immediately... Uh, that ended up being a not an estate plan <laughs> case. They, and, uh, they had other issues. And since I didn't handle divorces, it was uh, I just sent them on their way. I think I've only had one divorce start in the in the conference with us. So it sounds like you've had at least one, maybe maybe more than that. Yeah. I, I also remember a, a, a case of a couple who an elderly couple who lived together but never got married and apparently um, yeah. that was not widely known. Do you, yes, do you remember that? I do. I remember um, a couple who lived in Green Valley that they, uh, the gentleman died and they had a prenuptial and everything was very amicable. But I sat down with his kids and I said, well, since your father wasn't married and they went, what <laughs> they the parents had done an official ceremony and for all appearances were married but in arizona it's required that you have a official marriage certificate we're not a common law marriage state and therefore they were never married and it was by design for to preserve uh, one spouse or the other getting their retirement benefits until they died and um so, so uh, did the kid's opinion of their father go up that he had been living in sin, or did it go down? I, I, they, 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 they laughed heartily. <laughs> I was as surprised at that second as they were. <laughs> they assumed they knew. They assumed that they did. I, I didn't even know about the sham ceremony. <laughs> well, uh, gosh, 40 years of practice, a lot happened, and I'm sure we could uh, we could reminisce and tell stories back and forth for a couple hours. But thanks, Tom, for for reliving some of the moments of a of, of an excellent practice of law. And uh, once again, let me say we miss you around here, but uh, come back anytime. Thank you for the walk down memory lane. <laughs> Thank you for going with me. You've been listening to Elder Law Issues. My name is Robert Fleming. My longtime partner, Tom Curdy, has been my special guest today. Thanks again, Tom. And um, uh, join us again for our next podcast episode. We will talk to you then. Thanks.